Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the My High Sports Podcast Network. And I am excited to talk about Michael Porter Jr. on this episode. We're going to have plenty of fun. Uh, really good to talk about what he was doing well during the championship season. That's kind of the the premise of all of these episodes that are coming up here. And I'll explain that in a little bit more, but uh, this episode will be about Michael Porter. Almost exclusively going to have a good time with it. Really looking forward to seeing how everybody feels about MPJ in the chat. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love. If you can, uh, would be awesome if you could like and subscribe to the YouTube video. That would be great if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, any of those platforms. Thank you so much. That's my OG crowd there. So no worries on that. Thank you so much for listening. I'll, I always appreciate it, no matter where it comes from. All right. Let's now get into this particular uh, show. We're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. I wanted to do something a little bit different on the offseason content. As everybody knows, I probably should have typed this out in terms of one of the the actual title cards on this podcast, but I wanted to do uh, off-season coverage, preview coverage for next season, kind of mixing both of those up as best as I could. And I thought the best way to do it, I've, I've done this in the past via writing, is 20 questions. And I actually got this idea from Sacktown Royalty back in the day. If you're an OG blog reader, uh, Sacktown Royalty was the Sacramento Kings blog and uh, my guy G Wiz over uh, at G Wiz on Twitter, he and his crew would put together a whole bunch of questions that they would answer during the offseason. This is mostly August content, September content, and they would put together an offseason list of questions where you just ask a question to the audience, kind of talk about both sides, whether it's a debate or not, and just try to hone out some good offseason content and discuss some important topics that for them were related to the Sacramento Kings. For us, it'll be related to the Nuggets. And I think that this is a good thing uh, just to kind of centralize a bunch of different topics, especially for podcasts. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. today, as you can see on the title card over here and the banner down here. Uh, but everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all the love. Let's get into this now. Michael Porter Jr., obviously a polarizing figure for the Denver Nuggets. He's obviously somebody who was so high profile for the Nuggets that he kind of supersedes a lot of the contention questions that they had over the course of these last few years. He was obviously kind of an individual aspect of the team. Uh, when it came to who really factored into the team whether it was Jokic, whether it was Murray, it was Paul Millsap and Gary Harris before, Bill Barton. And then you had Michael Porter for a while as kind of this independent entity, uh, somebody who they brought in. They were good before he played. Uh, his first season was the 2019-20 season, the year before they won 54 games. So it was very fair for a lot of people to be confused and a little bit cautious as to what they would get from him. And then the talent that he showed, although it was awesome, it was sort of independent of what made the Nuggets great. And you saw it over the course of these last few years as to 
why Michael Porter was so good. He was an independent ISO scorer, could rise up over anybody. Uh, maybe not necessarily the off-the-dribble game, but anytime he got the ball, he was liable to shoot. And that was what made him so dangerous and make, continues to make him so good. Uh, but it's independent of Jokic ball, of Denver Nuggets-style basketball. And so I was very curious heading into last year, and I thought it would kind of work out the way that it did. I was very curious as to how Michael Porter would reintegrate himself back into the Nuggets culture, would reintegrate himself back into the Nuggets offense and defense, and how he would sort of approach that. And to nobody's surprise, he played great. Um, It worked really well because Michael Porter Jr. made himself second. And I think that there are some tangible reasons as to why he did that. There are tangible reasons as to why the Nuggets wanted him to do that. But more than anything, the Nuggets knew that at their apex, if Jokic and Murray were playing to the levels that they could, they didn't need Michael Porter Jr. to be an all-star. They just needed him to be out there, to be available, and to give them another option. And he did so well with that role last year that even though the numbers may have taken a little bit of a hit, Michael Porter actually had the best year of his career, in my opinion. I think that the way that he fit in, and though the numbers do not reflect it, they do not say that he was at his best, they don't even necessarily say that he was Denver's fourth best player. They like they definitely didn't think he was the third. They think that was Aaron Gordon, sometimes maybe Jamal Murray, depending on what numbers you're looking at. Most numbers have him as the fourth or fifth best, fifth best player. But that was okay because the role that he played, the complementary supporting role that he played, was so important for their style, for what they wanted to do with Jokic and Murray, that it sort of propelled everything else. He was just one of the elements that built upon what was a perfect starting five. Jokic was the engine. Jamal Murray's kind of the head of the snake in that. Uh, Aaron Gordon was kind of your your grinder, your your garbage guy, your the guy who did a lot of work around the basket especially, uh, was very physical. And then Michael Porter kind of wavered in between that purely spot-up-and-cutter kind of option. And then when Murray was double-teamed or when Jokic was double-teamed, Porter could also create for himself on occasion, could create with movement on occasion. And he didn't have to do it with a whole bunch of dribbles, but he did it in kind of a half Clay Thompson, half, like, I don't know who's another great floor spacer, not really Ray Allen or anything like that, but maybe somebody who's a little bit bigger, obviously. Uh, kind of in that range where he didn't have to touch the ball for long. And you knew that when he was going to touch it, it was probably to shoot. But so much of his presence last year, for so many of it, for so much of it, it went beyond the actual numbers that he put up. And I think that he did that better this last year than he did at any year of his career. Because he learned a lot and he learned how to be that player. Uh, let's go over some of the Pearl 100 possession numbers. I'm going to... Um, change the slide here real quick. Per 100 possessions, these are some numbers that I wanted to throw out here uh, just so that everybody could see them. Michael Porter's numbers, uh, I know that this graph is not, or this table is not necessarily the easiest to read if you're watching on YouTube. Top rows for each of those graphs are from this past year. 
and the greens versus and reds are basically in comparison to the career prior to this season. Michael Porter actually scored more points during the regular season per 100 possessions because his usage rate went up just a little bit. He was still able to be kind of that third option on offense. Maybe not the first or second option, but probably more utilized, more heavily utilized than a traditional third option. Like a lot of those teams, especially when you've got two stars, a lot of those superstars will soak up so many of those possessions. Think Joel Embiid and James Harden, or Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, or LeBron James and Anthony Davis. On each of those teams, the actual usage rates for their third guys, and I think Tyrese Maxey's a little bit independent. He's actually a good comparison for Michael Porter. Um, but Porter was actually still productive. He didn't have as much of a productive case for his other numbers, whether it was rebounds, passing, steals, blocks, anything like that, as he had in prior years. He wasn't as involved in much of the game. But I think that if you're watching him, and you're watching what Denver's doing on a consistent basis, you feel good about when he is involved. Now, he didn't actually shoot as well, especially in the playoffs. This year, the playoffs were pretty much they were a down stretch for him. Most of that was the finals where he shot like 14% from three and just couldn't really get anything to go. Before that, he was actually pretty good from a shooting perspective. So I, I want to table that for just a little bit. I think the shooting is the thing that everybody has the fewest questions about Michael Porter Jr. going forward. But I do think that he is a... This is still important from that perspective. Like I think that he's less productive in general, especially coming off of that back injury or that, that third back surgery. But I do think that he is just as impactful. And that was a very, very important piece of this because like it or not, the health comparisons were always going to be there. They're always going to happen. And that's a pretty scary aspect of this. Uh, I do think I do think that Jokic and Murray and those guys will be able to help him out. And just in, in terms of that actual health aspect, because they're not going to like the actual team isn't going to ask him to do that much because the health is always going to be a thing. And but that's that's okay, I think, for this aspect of this. Porter is always going to have this kind of in the back of his head, or I hopefully not too strongly, but like he's still a player that GMs have to be cautious about, and coaches and other players, and like they're always that's always going to track with him, and that's okay. It doesn't have to necessarily be too crazy. Uh, when it comes to really affecting his career. But it's something that I have at least thoughts about when it comes to what Michael Porter is going to be at the NBA level. I think that he's probably closer to a supporting player than he is a star going forward. And part of that is the health. Part of that is the skill set. Uh, but I do think that Michael Porter is probably going to be affected by that at least that aspect of things where you don't know necessarily whether he's going to play 82 full games. Like he's, I think everybody pretty much in the league is done playing 82 full games. But with Porter especially, the actual numbers of games that he's played in his career, uh, he's had five total seasons in the NBA. The first, he sat out entirely. 
the second and the third, he played basically 55 to 60 games. The fourth, a couple of years ago, he played nine and then was clearly impacted, could not play. That's bad. And then this last year, he played about 60 as well. So on average, when he's healthy, he's going to play about 60 games a year. And I think that that's pretty understandable given the actual surgeries that he's had and, and how like for so many people, that's going to be like, just what follows them around. So many people wouldn't be playing basketball if they had what he dealt with, if they had the pain and the actual like inhibitions that he dealt with. Michael Porter deserves a ton of credit for being able to rise above that, I think. And there, there's so much that I think he deserves credit-wise that he doesn't get because there is a stigma around him. He talks a big game. He talks a lot about what he wants to be and how this isn't the way that he wanted his, not necessarily the way he wanted his career to be going, but in terms of he continues to have goals for himself. He continues to want to rise above what he currently is at. And that's fair. And he has the talent to be able to do it if given the opportunity. I don't know if he's going to get that full of an opportunity on this team. I think he'll get a bigger opportunity next year as long as he stays healthy, as long as he stays committed. Uh, but I do think that there is something to him being a permanent kind of second or third banana as opposed to a first option. And for those reasons, here are some comparisons that I have for him. Kristaps Porzingis, Danilo Gallinari, Peja Stojakovic, Chandler Parsons, and Richard Lewis. Uh, now, don't hate me for throwing out all those names. These are tall forwards, taller, uh, kind of 6'8 to 6'11 guys. And Porzingis is 7'3, but he kind of plays. I thought that this was a very interesting comparison just based off of what Porzingis had to deal with for his first five years or so in his career and sort of what he's become now. Um, all those guys have had differing levels of success. A couple all-star games here or there. Um, and then you've got a guy who, in Chandler Parsons, signed a big contract and then was out of the league. Um, I think it's fair to wonder which of these guys Michael Porter will ultimately become, if he does become any of them. Peja Stojakovic came to mind because there are so many comparisons between the Nuggets and the Kings, uh, kind of like Jokic is basically a Chris Webber, Vladi Divac hybrid in and of itself. And then like those 2000s Kings had Peja Stojakovic, who was basically the second best player on those teams behind Chris Webber most of the time. And like Peja even made All-NBA in one of those seasons. And at his peak, he was an All-Star. He was great. He also didn't pass the ball a ton, but it wasn't his role. It wasn't his what he was asked to do. So I think that's an interesting one for Michael Porter. But what I've come around to, and what I think other Nuggets fans are going to have to come around to at some point soon, is that Michael Porter is not going to be Paul George or Jason Tatum or, I don't know, Kevin Durant, who's been compared to Giannis, he's been compared to, like he compared himself to those guys, which is pretty funny. Um, but that's okay to me. Like, I'm not, and I don't think anybody else should be really confused by that because some of these guys, Porzingis, Peja, Richard Lewis, like, 
These guys were top 30 players, top 20 players in some cases, and were very, very good at their peaks and would have helped title contenders and did help title contenders in a lot of different ways. That's important. And I hope other Nuggets fans don't place such high expectations on MPJ because they don't need to. No, no Nuggets fan needs to do that. Like it is okay if he becomes maybe not Chandler Parsons, but if he just became Danilo Gallinari and what Gallo was at his peak, which was a quality 20 point per game, um, pseudo first option on a bad team, but more likely a second or third option on a good team where you're a contender. That's great. That's a really, really great player and a helpful player, especially if you're with a team for the rest of your career. So I am pretty happy if if that's where he ends up becoming. But the good thing about him and that he's already proven is that he fits so well with what the Nuggets have done uh, that he could step up in a second option kind of role when need be. But he can also default to being more of a floor spacer and a supporting option kind of guy and doing a whole bunch of different stuff without being in the way. Like he's he's just out there doing good things and he's even helped on the defensive end, which not all these guys below have been great defenders, but to different degrees they've been helpful defensively. So I'm curious to see what happens. I'm curious to see how he continues to grow. But when we come back, we're going to answer biggest questions for Michael Porter and talking about the contract, because I think that those two things are front and center in a lot of people's minds when it comes to MPJ. But first, everybody in this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. We are changing the game here at Superbook Sports. Help your friends and your your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, uh, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. All you got to do is download that Superbook Sports app, use that promo code, get $250, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, always helps. And one thing that we've got going on, Cody Rourke of the Broncos Beat here at MHS is starting a new show on Mile High Sports YouTube channel. It's going to be great. It's called Good Morning Broncos. I'm looking forward to listening and watching it uh, and also just having another show that appears kind of in a, sometimes it's live. I I think it's going to be a live show if I'm not mistaken, but even if it's not live, like it's going to go up in the mornings. Hope everybody enjoys. Like I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And especially there's a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement around the Broncos locally here. So should be very, very interesting. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, turn on that funny little bell notification for a, uh, for all of your Mile High Sports coverage. All right. Biggest questions for Michael Porter Jr. and the Nuggets going forward. 
I think that first and foremost, how he continues to grow within his role is really, really important. And if he wants to grow within that role versus really expanding outside of that role. I know that he has goals. I spoke about that just before. He wants to be known as one of the top players in the NBA. It is really hard to become that if you are behind Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. I think with what Jamal just did in the playoffs this year and sort of what the team is kind of building towards and continuing to build towards, I think it's pretty fair to say that for the rest of their careers, hopefully, that Jokic and Murray are going to be the top two in Denver. And Porter will be third on that pecking order pretty clearly. Um, I don't know if he views it that way. I don't know if the Nuggets even view it that way. I suspect that they do. I suspect that everybody understands, obviously, Jokic is at the top. But the way that Murray has played, especially in the playoffs, he's always going to be the guy that they trust in those situations over anybody else. And it's borne out to be the correct course of action. So I know that that was a big debate for a while. I think that it's fair. It was a fair debate for a while. But with the way that those guys, Murray and Porter, have really responded over the course of this last season, I think that Murray is definitely more suited for that second star role in Denver. And then Porter is always going to probably be that third banana. However, if he's interested in continuing to play for Denver, wants to continue to be in Denver, wants to continue to be that guy, um, whether he like they can grow it as much as possible, I think that there is a possibility that he staggers with the bench more consistently. I think it is possible that with Reggie Jackson being in tow, with Denver kind of having a little bit of variety now thrown into the mix when it comes to their bench, I think it's very possible that Michael Porter is a guy that they want to feature with that second unit. Now, one of the reasons why Denver's, I think, been okay without going to Porter extensively is because when you are such an important piece to a team's uh, makeup, to their uh, the way that they play, the style that they have, when you are that important to everything, it is really hard to replace you when you go out. It's really, really hard. Think about, well, think about what happens when Jokic goes down for Denver. I know it's different scales, but think about what changes about Denver's style of play when Jokic isn't on the floor. It's pretty much everything. I know that they don't want to say that, but it's true. This is what happens when, like, let's say if you're a team that's interested in trading for Michael Porter Jr. to be your first or second option. What happens if that player isn't there? Are you going to be the Clippers where, okay, maybe when everybody's there and healthy, you're thriving. But then when they're not, you look like a shell of yourself. I think that's a pretty strong consideration when it comes to what the actual market would be for a guy like MPJ and what that would actually look like from the perspective of how many teams are actually interested in going that direction. I think it's fair that Michael Porter may have missed his window. In ter- and he may not have, by the way, like I could be crazy about this, but he may have missed his window when it comes to actually showcasing that you can be that all-star caliber talent consistently. And 
maybe the best course of action is just to stay around with Denver and become a big three with Jokic and Murray. And like, if you're consistently seen as that third guy because you're consistently scoring the third most points, or sometimes you're even taking over various games, then that's okay. Like, that, that, there's no shame in that. Like, people don't just think of the Spurs as Tim Duncan. They think of it as Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili. Like, that's a very reasonable thing. And I think with a lot of teams, especially dynasty types, that third guy is still special. Maybe not as special, but still a very special piece. So I think that's probably my biggest question. Is Michael Porter Jr. going to be okay with that role? consistently going forward. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. He's been more than willing, more than happy. Everything that he has said publicly and privately, he has been all about helping the team win. And then Denver won. And it just would not surprise me now, after that winning has been proven, that he might be like, hey, I want to go spread my wings. I want to see what happens uh, when I take on more responsibility. I think that Denver can try to meet him a little bit in the middle here and give him some of that responsibility with the second unit. That could be Reggie Jackson. Let's let's just theorize it out. Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Michael Porter, Peyton Watson, and Zeke Naji. Let's say that those are your five guys. That seems like a pretty good team. Seems like a pretty good bench lineup. It would not surprise me if that's a great bench lineup for Denver. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what's actually going to happen. I'm not sure if that's the plan. It would not surprise me as well if Denver was like, yeah, we're going 10-man rotation. We are going to rest our guys. We're going to give you as much relaxation and play you as few of minutes as we possibly can. That's something else to talk about going forward. And I'll, I'll have plenty of time to talk about the rotation uh, between now and the start of the season. But with Michael Porter specifically, it just would not surprise me if they're like, hey, we're going to, like, if you want to, we can rest you. And I, my guess would be that Michael Porter is going to be like, no, if there's an opportunity to do that, I would like to play with the second unit. Now, this is where it comes into question, okay, does Jamal Murray want those minutes? Would he rather be the featured guy off the bench with the second unit so that he can make an all-star case for himself? Because if he is trying to make an all-star case for himself, and Michael Porter is trying to make a case for himself, is there enough basketball to kind of go around? Is there enough minutes to go around? Because as much as Jokic is going to want to like take some time off at the beginning of the season, maybe not, like his usage rate may go to very low in terms of what he's actually doing. It just would not surprise me if he knew how important both of these things are to Murray and MPJ. It was like, cool, I'm going to get you guys as many points as possible. I'm going to average 11 and a half assists per game and you guys are going to be the scorers. If that doesn't lead to wins, then maybe that kind of flips. But it would not surprise me if wins aren't the most important priority for Denver at the beginning of next season. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. I'm very curious to see whether Michael Porter's willing to, like if he wants that extra reps, if he wants that extra role, and if the Nuggets are able to give it to him or not. Because Denver does have goals, obviously. They want to keep winning championships. And I think that Michael Porter wants to win championships too. I don't want to put words in his mouth and say that he doesn't because I think he does. But what I will say is that he also has these other career goals that he wants to fulfill 
And that if he, if he continues to play just a traditional third option role for Denver, he's probably never going to reach that apex of what he wanted initially. Now, a third back surgery may have changed that priority and that way of thinking. And if that's the case and he just wants to settle into a role that makes sense, more power to him. I totally understand that. Uh, I do think in general, Denver's going to be very, very fascinating when it comes to next year and what they're actually going to look like. Let me just read some comments here and react to some stuff. Um, what's good, Cedric? Good to see you. Um, Raz al Ghul, shout out to Batman. If anyone has ever had back problems, they would ease up, up on criticizing MPJ. If he has 100% faith in his back, the Nuggets will be a dynasty. How do you stop them? It's a great question because I think that this version of Michael Porter that we just saw from a statistical perspective, I think it's going to get better. I think that a couple of the things that he can do to improve, he's got to improve as a passer. He's got to improve at seeing the floor. But he also just has to have more in his bag when it comes to driving to the rim with the ball in his hands, being more comfortable handling the basketball. And if he can get to that place, then it would be reasonably okay for him to stagger with that second unit and be like, yeah, we're going to make you the first option there. Makes sense to do that. It just makes sense. Uh, I hope that he can get to that point. And I hope that it doesn't impact his defense because I think him taking as much of the defense as he has seriously, that helped him remain a valuable player for Denver even when he wasn't shooting well. There were a couple times that Denver took him off the floor in the finals, but for the most part, he was out there because he was very, very helpful. Um, I'm not surprised that when it got to that place and the shot kind of dried up that they decided to go with other more consistent defensive options. But he was able to be out there even when the shot wasn't working in game one and still made an impact. So I really do appreciate that for sure from him. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Um, Cedric says, don't forget CB is our next MPJ. Maybe. Uh, that would be interesting. I do think that CB is probably closer to KCP than he is to MPJ. But who knows? I also think that there's something to be said that Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, Julian Strother, guys like that. I think that Calvin Booth has at least put into the back of uh, like a, a kind of a fail-safe option here that if they need to trade MPJ, then they're going to be okay. Uh, I don't think that they should by any stretch. It's unless he actually wants to go. Uh, but I think that Michael Porter is going to continue to be great. I think that he is one of the top players in terms of potential breakouts uh, around the league because if he just stays healthy, and I know that's a big, big if, then there's at least all of these options available to him for handling the ball a little bit better, uh, seeing the floor a bit better defensively, uh, being more of a playmaker on both ends of the floor. Like there's just so much that he can do uh, that I think is going to come with time. Keep in mind, he hasn't even played 200 regular season games in his career. But one of the reasons why I also wanted to put the comparisons up there, let me just put these back. Kristaps Porzingis, Stanilo Gallinari, Peja Stojakovic, Chandler Parsons, Richard Lewis. In that general range, I think like, all of those options are still on the table for him when it comes to being that level of player. Uh, I don't think that too far below or above those outcomes is that much, is that considerable. Like, I don't think the Paul Georges, 
I don't think the Jason Tatums, I just, I don't think that those kinds of players are on the table for him anymore, but who knows? Like maybe, maybe he is, maybe he's okay. Finally, because I mentioned it before, I want to talk about the contract. Um, Let me bring back up the slide with the images here. Okay. I hope that's big enough for everybody. This is Denver's salary cap sheet. This is what they have to deal with. This is the amount of money that they have at their disposal and what they have committed for the rest of, for like the next five years or so. I haven't broken down the unlikely versus likely incentives or anything like that, but Michael Porter Jr., he's highlighted in kind of gold in that third spot. The numbers look high, and I I want to make sure that everybody knows that those are the numbers. But what I will say is that they're not so high that it's actually really impacting Denver that much. The actual percentage of the cap, and I made sure to put the projected salary caps um, at the like right below the projected salary line. So you see the 177.9 million in projected salary. That is in comparison to the $136 million salary cap that Denver has. That salary cap number I have projected going up 10% every single season because that's what everybody says is going to happen, like just nationally, because there's so much money going into the NBA right now. So all these contracts, like you saw that Jalen Brown signed a $300 million extension. Michael Porter Jr. for the next four years has $140 million committed to him. That's not that bad of a deal. It's really not. I saw Brandon Anderson, who I like, he's a follow on Twitter. Uh, he's at Wheaton Brando. Make sure to follow him. He is good. But I saw him put Michael Porter as like the seventh worst contract in the NBA. And I understand why he did it just from a health standpoint and from a physical standpoint of what he actually is. But I don't think that that's where he's going to end up being. I don't think that the Nuggets really care that much because if they have this current roster, like just what they have put together right now, there's no reason why they can't win another title, even with Porter's contract right there, because he is still good enough. Like, hypothetically, if you switched Aaron Gordon's and Michael Porter's cap numbers, would anybody really bat an eye? Like, would they be that concerned about what Denver was? Probably not. Probably not at all. Now, they'd be like, why is Aaron Gordon making so much money? He's just a role player. Well, Denver has these two elite role players in Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon who can play at all-star caliber levels at times. And so that's fine. That's all you really need. Like Denver's got the best player in the world. They've got around the 16th to 20th best player in the NBA as the second best option. And then they've got Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter, who I think I'd have Aaron Gordon as about the 48th best player and Michael Porter is about the 60th. 62nd best player in the NBA. That's not bad. Like Denver's going to be just fine. And the salary cap is not going to really impact that. Now, if they did have to make some money moves uh, when Jamal Murray gets that extension, that wouldn't surprise me. You see the projected salary cap that they have is at 164.5 million. And that super tax apron is projected at 221. If Jamal Murray is making 50 million, in that 2025-26 season, then that projected salary cap number goes from 164 to 214. 
And so they'd be up against the salary, ta- the super tax apron at that point. So it is a big deal if they were to cross that threshold. However, it's not something that I think people should worry about right now. I think that th- for the next two years, 23-24 and 24-25, all you got to do is worry about winning a championship again. And if Michael Porter helps you with that, who cares about the salary cap number? I am not worried about the salary cap number. I think that the Nuggets are not really worried about that salary cap number either. They believe that Jokic, Porter, Murray, all these guys, they believe that they can help. And they also know that Christian Brown, Julian Strother, Peyton Watson, Blacko Chanchar, Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson, like all six of those guys, if they just develop into role players and Michael Porter's still your third or fourth best guy, that's good enough. That's good enough. You've got your next pipeline coming in. That's at least the vision. So anyway, interesting to think about. I do not think that the actual contract matters that much, but I understand why people think so. But I'm not worried. And I don't think anybody else should be that worried too. Michael Porter's a really, really good player. I think that people, given what his expectations were at the beginning of his career and maybe what he continues to want, I think that people are talking about that contract and talking about his expectations as, oh man, he hasn't met that expectation. No, that's not true. Denver won a championship. They did what they had to do. And he was a big part of that, even if he wasn't on the floor all the time. I think that as he continues to be in his prime, like he's 24, 25, I think, if he's in his prime, if he is continuing to play hard and effectively and well and continues to grow, even if it's incrementally, if he's a top 40 player, like during his prime, that's good enough. And I'm not worried about it. I don't know if he's ever going to be an all-star. I don't know if he's ever going to be like the player that he thought he wanted to be. But I do think that he can still kind of slide in as one of those most important super role players, hybrid star kind of guy, where you're probably not good enough to be the top tier player on your own. But you can absolutely bolster a championship run, and I think he's going to do it extremely well. So we will see what ultimately happens here. But folks, I think that is going to do it on this particular episode uh, of Pickaxe and Roll. That is going to do it. I am going to do one of these a week every Wednesday. I think that's my ultimate vision here. I'm going to try to do one of these 20 questions podcasts every week. If you liked it, make sure to leave a like. Let me know how you let me know how you enjoyed it. That would be great. I do think that these are important and I think they're good off-season content. So if you're interested, uh, make sure to share us out as much as possible. But uh, I do really appreciate all y'all. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to the podcast. I am going to be back on Friday, as is normal. I did get a new apartment, so we might be seeing this, uh, this setup really change over the course of these next few weeks. But I'm looking forward to crossing that bridge when it comes. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. We'll talk to you guys very soon.